Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. Today, we get to talk about the exciting launch of Steve's campaign for California Assembly, which just came out last Friday. Get ready, Sacramento. Get ready. (laughs) And joining us for our interview to talk about the importance of state house races and how Democrats are doing all across the country is the co-founder and co-executive director of Run For Something, Ross Morales Riquetto. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is How We Win. All right, Steve. Hey, candidate. How's it going? How, how's your launch week been? Breaking news. I'm sure a lot of people on this show haven't haven't heard yet. Um, I don't know. If, uh, it, well, we did post it on our social, but um, you know, since we started this show, I've been talking to people about uh, how important it is to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and uh, and step into your power and. Uh, I've always looked at where I can make the biggest impact in this important, important work. And I've been encouraging listeners, everyone, to to do something bold and even run for office, especially local office. And um, now the opportunity for me to, to serve my own community and, and serve uh, in, in California, the state that I love, has come up. So I am taking it, and I'm running for California State Assembly in Assembly District 44, where I've lived for almost 30 years. It's, it's so exciting. And I really love that you're an organizer and you're going to bring that organizing mindset into those halls of power. And I really loved how you talked about just the way that you want to create a state where everyone can have all the opportunities that you have had. And I think that was really powerful. Thank you. You're referring to my little video that I put out on the socials yeah. to announce it. Yeah, um, uh, I have been so so blessed, and and uh, a huge part of it has been my great union that my wife and I are a member of, and uh, mm-hmm. the health insurance that I've had through that. I I haven't. I don't really talk about myself on this show very much, but you know, uh, mm-hmm. Melinda and I's uh, our daughter was a preemie when she was born. She was just a pound and a half and was in the hospital for four months, and uh, that would have been completely devastating to us if we didn't have the great insurance we had through our union. And too many people are one injury or one illness away from complete ruin. So yeah, so healthcare is a big issue to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we can get single payer here in California passed. I know we can. Our version mm-hmm. of Medicare for All is called CalCare, and the time for us to get that done is right now. So, But mm-hmm. look, I don't want to just blab on. I want people to check out my website, I guess. Here I am being all candidate yeah. It's PearsonForCalifornia.com. <laughs> If you are so inclined, if you've been listening to this podcast for a a while and you're so inclined to support my campaign, I'd be grateful. As you know, as we do with all of all of our organizing, it is people powered. It is grassroots and people powered. So please go to PearsonForCalifornia.com and uh, sign up. And pitch in a little bit if you can. Every little dollar helps, as you know. Um, it's not just about the amount of money, but it's about it's about the grassroots supporters that I have. So, um, 
gosh, that's yeah. weird talking about like being a candidate <laughs> and giving my website pitch. But uh, I'm I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. To it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a really big decision, you know, and it's a big deal to become a public servant. Not everyone can do it. Not everyone is able to do it. So I think it's really cool that you saw the opportunity and that you want to serve the people. Um, what is there? Is there something? Is was there a moment that put you over the edge to make the decision? I know it's a really it's a hard choice to make. There's a lot of sacrifices. Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I've been looking at, and I thought it was going to be in the progressive media space, of course. And I, by the way, I can I am going to continue doing the podcast. We're doing the podcast no matter yeah. what. In fact, we may even <laughs> add add a little like how we run to it to kind of mm-hmm. give some behind the scenes stuff. But to answer Love your it. question. I was like 95% of the way there and I was going through the motions and doing everything that you need to do to prepare to run for office, which includes getting endorsements from people. And Mm -hmm. I had a phone call scheduled with the amazing Dolores Huerta to Mm -hmm. ask for her endorsement. And you all have heard her on the podcast a couple of times. And um, without hesitating, she gave me her endorsement and said, yes, Steve, we need more organizers like you in Sacramento. And I, that's amazing. I, that that was what put me over the top. I'm like, if if Dolores Huerta has faith in me, <laughs> I can't let her down. I'm going to do this. I literally dropped to my knees here in the studio and was like, <laughs> "What the hell is happening right now?" Dolores Huerta just endorsed me, and um, that's meaningful. I mean, that's Super great. that's a lot to live up to, and uh, I'm not going to be able to live up to that, of course. But I will do my best. That's really cool. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. A lot of very cool people endorsed, Steve. You should check it out on the website. Steve, <laughs> no, wait, what is it? Pearson4CA.com. That's right. There you go. <laughs> Thank <See>? you. <laughs> Thank welcome. you, Jennifer. I've got a great surrogate already right here. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Um, very cool. And, Congrats. Okay. So thank you very much for that. And uh, you know, we'll put the link in today's show. But I don't know yes. if we're going to keep doing that because we're we're not here about me. We're, we've got a, a lot of important stuff to talk about. And stealing my thunder from this announcement is mm-hmm. Nikki Haley jumping in, <laughs> declaring her candidacy. Ooh. Did you watch her video? Her no. launch video? No, I didn't. I did. And Thank you. It was, you're welcome. I mean, it was very strange. Um, essentially, I think it's very incoherent, her, <laughs> her whole story, um, because it's essentially, I don't believe in any problems that exist with racism or structural racism or problems. You know, it's, it's America and it's every individual and we can all get ahead. And then on the other side, she talked about the, um, the horrible massacre that happened at the church in South Carolina that was racially motivated where white supremacists shot black people. So that was wild. And then her, her whole, her whole thing was just a, it was just a study in contradictions and essentially um, like a, it was like a polarization and just watching the video, you, I just couldn't understand what she was actually saying. So it didn't actually worry me that much when I saw the video, because I don't think her message is going to get her very far No, in the Republican party. <laughs> maybe, maybe if she were a Democrat, but 
not in the Republican Party. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb <laughs> right now and say if Donald Trump is not in jail or convicted and disqualified from holding public office ever again, which, you know, he's in some real legal jeopardy and there's some uh, – we'll we're going to see some disclosures from uh, the Georgia grand jury on Thursday. Um, so that's a possibility. But if uh, – and hopefully that happens. But if that doesn't happen, he will be the Republican nominee. I am certain yeah. of it. Um, but just in case – uh, Nikki Haley tries to uh, paint herself as the UN ambassador and a you know reasonable Republican. Let me give you some bullet points just to remind you. She was a loyal defender of Trump as a member of his administration. We really yeah. can't name a single policy difference from Trump uh, as governor of South Carolina. Oh, sorry, were you going to say a policy difference? No, no, I was just agreeing. <laughs> she's she's MAGA all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her agenda in South Carolina as governor, she signed an abortion ban with no exceptions for rape or incest and allowed for jailing providers. She endorsed a plan to end Medicare as we know it as, quote unquote, common sense. She pushed for tax cuts for the top one percent and refused to expand Medicaid. She mm. promised not to support election deniers and then she campaigned for them. And, of course, she said she wouldn't run for president if Trump ran, and now she's running anyway. Mm -hmm. So sounds a lot and, like the former guy. <laughs> yeah, and as we know, the way that the Republican Party primary system works, where it's winner-take-all, the reality is the more people like Nikki Haley, who really don't have a chance to win the nomination, jump in, the more likely Trump is to solidify his win. Because he can win with only 30% of support if a lot of under can other candidates under him are splitting that the support, right? Yeah. So it's all very ironic that she's trying to put herself up as an alternative to Trump when A, everything you said is true, that she's basically a clone of Trump and all everything she says and does, and B, her candidacy makes it more likely that Trump will actually get elected in the primary. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she's got ambition. She wants to keep her name in the in the spotlight. So it's worth it to her, I guess. Or maybe she's trying to be VP. Uh -huh. that, could, that could be it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's stop talking about her because she wants <laughs> she wants the attention. I don't want to give it to her. Um, Fair enough. Let's uh, let's talk about this week's to do list. Um, I, I teased this out a little bit and I put a link in it last week. The Supreme Court election in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Supreme Court election is April 4th. And this is a very important election, uh, which could have extremely huge ramifications in the 2024 uh, presidential race. There's two seats up for election right now, and uh, we could change the courts from a conservative majority to a progressive majority. I say progressive haunt, you know, haltingly because the things that we're talking about here don't sound that progressive to me. They just sound like common sense. But you know, what's on the line is fair maps and representation because uh, the GOP in Wisconsin passed the most egregiously gerrymandered legislative map in the country, and um, and that was selected by the conservative court. Abortion mm -hmm. access. They are uh, currently in effect with a law from 1849 criminalizing abortion. 
that law is being challenged by the state's Democratic attorney general, so that's on the line. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, protecting voting rights and combating GOP el- election subversion. Uh, so like, you know, this doesn't – it's not like super progressive stuff here. It's like protecting democracy, protecting uh, bodily autonomy and fair maps and representation. So that's yeah. what's on the line. But uh, – Yep. It's a super important. So it's ver- a super important race. It really is. And um, and if you're feeling itchy, like you want to get your volunteer actions on because you haven't been able to volunteer uh, in a few months, go to the link uh, we have in our show notes. Uh, our friends at Swing Left have a whole bunch of different resources for you. Um, let's uh, now talk about your reason for hope, Jennifer. Thank you. So I wanted to share something a little bit personal, uh, but people might have heard about it as well. A woman named Jen Angel, who was a friend of mine and a community member here in Oakland. She owned a bakery called Angel Cakes, and she was actually a very well-known social activist and movement activist in, in a lot of circles across the country. So a lot of people know her. She she died really suddenly this week on, on Thursday after she was in an altercation on Monday in Oakland, a, a burglary, a, a purse snatching that kind of went wrong where she, um, there, there was an altercation and the moving car fled in such a way she got caught and she was badly injured. So kind of a, a freak accident, but you know, in relation to a, a crime, a, a robbery, something that's, that happens and that's, that's been happening more in, in cities. And, um, I'm bringing it up in my reason for hope, not, you know, it's obviously deeply sad and tragic and every, our community is really reeling from it and grieving. And I've, I've been personally grieving and trying to support her immediate friend circle and family as best we can. Um, But the part that gave me hope is that Jen was such a clear activist about the world she believed in and the world she wanted to create. And in her death, um, you know, she believed that everyone should live a dignified and joyful life. And she believed in sustainability and participatory communities. She was actually an anarchist. And so and she did a lot of work around that. And in her death, her family and her friends be like stayed committed to her vision and put out this really beautiful statement. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes of a, a, a GoFundMe page that people can look at that has the statement on it. But I wanted to read a part of it because it's it it's very moving in the sense that um, the people she was so. Um, imp- her vision was so clear and resonated so much with the people around her that they will that they were able to carry it forward even in her her tragic death so mm-hmm. um so it says if the Oakland police department does not If the Oakland Police Department does make an arrest in this case, Jen's values call for pursuing all available alternatives to traditional prosecution, such as restorative justice. Jen's community asks that the media respect this request and carry forward the story of her life with celebration and clarity about the world she aimed to build. Please do not use Jen's life legacy of care and community to further inflame narratives of fear, hatred, and vengeance. That's 
incredible and i'm i'm so uh sending love to you and to everyone else in the community you know for the tragic loss of your friend i'm really really sorry that you were all going through that and um and it it is very hopeful uh amongst how sad this is it is very hopeful that the community would rally around uh her values and and not you know, uh, the knee jerk anger Mm -hmm. reaction to something like this. So, um, um, but just sending you lots of love right now. Thank you. As I know all all of our listeners are too. Thank you. It's, it's been an amazing outpouring of community support. They've raised almost $150,000 to, you know, continue to support her family and her friend, uh, her bakery and the community around it. Um, it's just, it's been incredible. And I'm part of volunteer efforts to help as well. So it, her vision of the community rallying together in love is actually happening even in her death as well. So thank you. I appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you did. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, uh, that was very poignant. Um, and now we're going to shift to uh, you know Ross, right? Have you I worked with Ross? Ross? And for those who don't, mm-hmm. I mean, we had Ross on our show um, a while ago, and we've also had his partner Jess on our show, and like. They are both amazing. They're a power couple. They are a power couple for sure, and uh, and so inspiring. And uh, he started this great uh, organization called Run for Something, uh, along mm-hmm. with Amanda Littman. They're doing great work, and Way to Win has worked with them and supported their work, especially around um, building new um, energy around some of the local races that we knew were important for election protection. They were, they did a big push on that as well as some of the school board race work that they've done around education. So it's, it's a great, it's a great group. I'm glad we get to talk to him a little bit more. He talks about a lot of that. So uh, without further ado, let's hear our interview with Ross. Ross Morales Riquetto is the co-founder and co-executive director of Run for Something with over 15 years of experience in campaign management, grassroots organizing, and data and analytics. In 2016, he was an advisor at For Our Future. He previously managed Wendy Carrillo for Congress in CA34 and was a principal at STG. Ross and co-founder Amanda Littman were also featured in Time Magazine's 100 Next last year with an article written about them by none other than Hillary Clinton. One of my favorite power couples, Ross and his wife, Jess, uh, just two amazing people. Welcome back to How We Win. Thanks for having me again. I'm thrilled to have you back. Um, And it's been a while since we've had a chance to talk. uh, And we have a lot to discuss about the election that's behind us and more importantly, what lies ahead. But uh, first, I just want to talk about how you got your start in politics. What was your first campaign? Why'd you get involved? My first campaign was um, I was a a student volunteer for the Ron Kirk for U.S. Senate campaign in Texas in 2002, um, which was uh, the mayor of Dallas at the time, Ron Kirk, was running against uh, John Cornyn, and that was John Cornyn's actually first uh, first Senate election. So it goes. It goes way back. <laughs> well, and uh, and that 
you know, didn't uh, like dissuade you from continuing on with the fight after that? No, being a Democrat, growing up as a Democrat in Texas, you just sort of like learn that like you learn you learn lessons the hard way that you're you're not always going to win. And, you know, the thing that I learned really early in my career, which I actually think was like absolutely a benefit is the fact that like you you do learn more by losing than you do by winning now having done both um Mm. and so like i would say the i I spent the first couple years of my career like working in sort of like state and local texas politics and i learned a lot about i I learned a lot because i lost a lot Yeah, it's it's a tough place to be a Democrat. It's getting uh, better and better every cycle uh, due to a lot of people like you who have been working really hard to continue to build the infrastructure there. So um, uh, thank you for that work. My family's all from Oklahoma. My dad was a Democrat from Oklahoma. So um, I feel you. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about Run for Something. Uh, obviously, it's uh, really become a force in supporting young, diverse, progressive candidates to run for office, but you just keep growing. I know when we talked uh, before, you you talked about how you basically had to build the plane as you were flying it when you first launched. Um, how have you grown? Now you're six years old, as you said in a recent email. You can count your age on two hands now. Uh, what does the future look like for Run for Something? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's bright, and um, I feel really good about where we've been over the last six years. You know, we and also the organization has seen some like exponential growth over the last year. So we started twenty twenty two. Uh, with a staff of 18, we ended the year at about 40. Oh, wow. um, and we anticipate that we'll continue growing at least for a little bit um, because there's just a lot of there's a lot of work out there to do. Um, and, you know, the thing that we were able to do really well when we first started was a lot of the like scaled pieces. So like recruiting people at scale, running people for office at scale. And now we're actually trying to pair that up with like some of the on the ground work. Um, and I think like being able to do both of those things together is really, really powerful. And I think it's just like only going to like significantly increase the impact that we're able to have um, going forward. So I feel really good about where we've been as, as an org. You know, last year we had about um, like 500 people, like 490 people who had elections on election day who we had endorsed and worked with. Uh over half of those people ended up winning, which is like by far the sort of like best we've ever done, um, you know, and, you know, those folks also continue to be extremely diverse, you know, like over 55% of them are women, over 55% of them are people of color and over 20% were LGBTQIA plus. And so it's not just like doing the work and like have and like having like big numbers. It's also being able to like work with people who are truly representative of the communities that they come from uh, and like provide them the type of support that like they need to run these races, especially like when we're looking at the local level, um, because there's just so little out there for people who are running for a local office. So like city council, county commissions, uh, school boards, election administration positions, so like county clerks. there's just there's almost there's almost nothing out there for a lot of these candidates. And so we've been able to also help fill a gap there 
And that's just been getting to sort of be a part of that work, do it every day. Like, honestly, like those candidates are the thing that get me up like in the morning. Uh, it, you know, it was tough to get up this morning. The, the candidates are the ones that get me up. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I may help you with your enthusiasm for this interview then uh, by breaking some news a little later. But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> one thing that I remember talking to you about before that I was uh, super impressed with was your ability as an organization to stay staffed up uh, throughout the year um, because so many orgs, um, you know, basically have a – bloody Sunday after the election and have to dump half of their staff. And it's so hard to sustain the integrity of the organization and the work that you're doing. And and uh, and you all have managed to stay staffed up throughout the years. And, and uh, it's super important and really impressive and shows the commitment that you have to these candidates, too. Um, so uh, kudos. And also, um, who can get support from y'all if they decide they want to step up and run for office? Yeah, so we specifically work with people who are 40 or under, um, usually running for first, second, sometimes third time. If that's you, then like we're ha then we want to be here to help. Um, we mostly work with first time candidates. Uh, so we'll work with sometimes we'll work with incumbents in some very specific instances so like if you're going from you know like small town school board you know to like state legislature some like sometimes we'll make exceptions for folks but like generally like if you're a first timer you're not elected you're second timer and you're 40 or under we're here to help it's so important the young legislators we see entering uh, office like you know obviously Maxwell Frost is uh, is a great example of that and and uh, he's gonna join our show um, in the next few episodes I can't wait to talk to him but um, he's awesome he's amazing and and there's so many uh, young people right now who are stepping up to run for office and like you said they don't have the support so thank you for supporting uh, young people running for office Talking about these, uh, the midterms, uh, while we felt just short of holding onto the House because of gerrymandering and voter suppression, I should add, um, we had great success in crucial state House races, beating uh, a bevy of election denying Republicans all over the country. I want to read this excerpt from uh, The Guardian that you have on your website. In the midterms, Democrats flipped at least three state legislative chambers and held on to their majorities in several states where they were in jeopardy. The victories ended years of Democrats defeat and disappointment and caught even some Democrats off guard. It was the first midterm election since at least 1934 in which the president's party didn't lose control of a single legislative chamber. I give you and your organization a whole lot of credit for this and uh, it, you really deserve it. Um, what did you learn from those wins uh, that we can apply to our races up and down the ballot moving forward? Yeah, and I think we do deserve like some of the credit for it. I also want to say like there are lots of other organizations out there like Sister District and Swing Left and the DLCC and States Project who did also like really excellent work. Yeah, uh, but the they're same. not here right now. So, you yeah, know. no, I just, I, you know, <laughs> like trying to doing some shout outs. Um, <laughs> I think a thing that I think a lot of things happened this election cycle. And I think honestly, like a lot of people are still sort of like untangling, you know, like 
a thing that we absolutely saw that impacted the elect the elections were like you know candidate quality on the republican side which like is a flip to rn2 we also had good candidates running on our end running against bad Repu- like bad republicans and really that was ones, yeah and that was at the statewide level and at the local level there were terrible republic like the, the republicans ran terrible people all the way up and down the ballot i think abortion definitely played a role in it but i think maybe in a slightly different way than a lot of people sort of like assume it did in that like I think a lot of people assumed there was like a big spike in Democratic turnout because of it. And actually, I think largely what happened in a lot of places is that Republicans turned on the Republican Party. Um, Hmm. At least that's like what we're starting to see from a lot of the data that's coming back. And I think like what that says to us is that we just need to be out there talking to voters about the issues that matter to them in their communities. And I think like that to me is the thing that I almost always come back to, I think is true in basically like every cycle. If you look at when Republicans are able to nationalize races, we tend to lose, especially at the state legislative level. Um, When we're able to run on local issues and things that are happening in communities that like impact like people's daily lives, we do much better. And I think a really good example of that is like, If you look at a lot of the ads that ran across a bunch of different states at the state legislative level last year, you know, they were generically talking about like healthcare, right? Like it was basically like running on a national message. This year, state legislative candidates were running on stuff in their communities. They were talking about abortion in ways that made sense in their areas. And they were talking about when they were talking about the bigger issues, they were talking about them in ways that related to like their specific community and i think like on top of that like so i think we did two things really we did one thing really well and republicans gave us the second thing right (laughs) so anytime you're running in it's an incumbent two things have to happen you have to convince people that the incumbent is bad republicans basically did that for us this cycle like we didn't have they just like handed that to us on a silver platter but then you have to tell, you have to explain to people why you are the right alternative. And I actually think we did that really well this cycle, and I don't think we always do it well. Um, I actually think we usually do that part quite poorly, mm-hmm. and we usually do the part where we like make the Republicans seem unpalatable or like like you know like a friend. You know, I think we do that generally pretty well. And I think when you put both of those things together, I think that's when that's when we do really well. And I think you saw a lot of that happening this cycle. Yeah, I would agree. I'll even say I was shocked by the results. I I did not expect the results that we got. I thought we were probably going to lose chambers. I did not expect to flip a single one. So like, count me among the group of people that like didn't (laughs) necessarily see this coming. Well, um, yeah, I mean, if you didn't see it coming, uh, then I don't know who did. Uh, But um, it's really, uh, it's really the story that I want people to hold on to because as we watch the, uh, uh, the terribly depressing, horrible dysfunction happening, uh, in the house right now and look to a couple of years where federally, uh, nothing is really going to get done other than, uh, a lot of, uh, hateful bullshit. Um, it, it, we need to look at what we did, um, 
if we had lost some of those state houses, if some of those election denying MAGA Republicans had actually come into power, um, we would be fighting a very scary battle uh, in the next presidential election, uh, trying to secure our very democracy. So uh, it was a huge win. And one that like when you talk about the terrible candidates and policies and, and you know, uh, how it's important to, uh, especially on a local level, talk to the issues that are important to that community. It doesn't seem like so far the Republicans are learning their lesson from the last election, <laughs> yeah, from what, from what, how they're approaching this legislative cycle, if you can call it that. They're not, and I don't think they will. I think they've sort of been captured. I think the party has been captured by like a like a like extremism, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Um, I do think something that like we really need to think hard about like as we go into like the next election cycle is like now that people voted for us we have to deliver for, yeah. for people and that's going to be hard in some places and easier in other places michigan's a really good example of like where we have op real opportunity to deliver we control the governorship in both houses of the state legislature now in Michigan for like the first time in like, I don't know, it's like 30 years or longer or something like that. And so we got to deliver for people. We got to do the things we said we were going to do. And we don't just, it's not just, I mean, it should be enough to just do them. It's not. Then we need to go out and tell people that we did it. Yes. Like yeah. We need to not be worried about like spiking the football, <laughs> like whatever. When we deliver we need to make sure people know that we delivered. They need to know like exactly what we did, how their life is going to change. You know, like when they see like more money, like back in their pockets for all sorts of things, like they need to know that that was courtesy of like Gretchen Whitmer and the state legislative Democrats in the house and the house and the Senate. And like, if we don't, if we don't do that, we're just like, we're just going to, we're doomed to repeat the same cycle over and over again. And I think like that's really a thing that Democrats at all levels need to be thinking about, not just at the state ledge, but also like the local level. Like we also won a lot of like city councils and school board races that like looked like they were going to be tough. And like we got to make sure that like the things that we're doing aren't just like they don't just look good on paper, but they actually are making a difference in people's lives. I think yeah. the best example of this was like president biden got elected the you know and then like we delivered like the covid relief package that we said we were we like gave people all this free money and then like a year later people had forgotten that like <laughs> democrats gave them free money you know and <laughs> that's because we didn't talk about it yeah and so like it isn't it's the delivering and it's the talking about it part that i think like and if we don't do both and we're not ready to do both Republicans are just going to like turn around with Trump on the ballot, maybe. Um, mm, yeah. And like, probably like, we'll probably have a repeat of 2020 where we didn't do super well down the ballot because like, you know, Republicans like this, you know, but like we do, but like maybe we do better at the top of the ticket and Joe Biden wins reelection, you know, like, I think that's a, I think that's the most likely outcome with Trump on the ballot if we're not out there doing the work that we need to be doing right now this year. 
Amen. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I I've talk about this all the time. I couldn't agree more. It's it's pretty damn simple. If you want to sustain uh, your party, then get elected and make people's lives better, and then talk about it. Um, you know, we we talk about messaging all the time. Like, what's the right messaging? The right messaging is make people's lives better. <laughs> and then let them know. And and right now, this is our uh, this is a really important task for all of our listeners, for activists out there, because people's lives are going to be affected by this transformative legislation that we passed in the last Congress and that Biden passed. And it's going to start uh, hitting uh, their communities now and next year. And uh, Republicans are going to take credit for it. They're going to try to take credit for it, even though they fought us on it every step of the way. So. Uh, yeah. A thing, a thing that we talk about a lot, you were like talking to this, like we talk a lot about like the brand, like Democrats brand and, you know, like it's a super common sort of like thing to say that Democrats have like a brand problem and like <laughs> that, that's true, but it's also not true. It's not true. And it, it's true in that like people think about, don't like think that we're kind of feckless and don't do anything, but like. It's not true in that, like, it's not that actually Democrats have a brand problem. It's a government has a brand problem. And the one thing that basically everybody knows about the Democratic Party is that, for better or worse, is that Democrats are the party of government. And if government doesn't deliver for people, Mm. then, like, that means Democrats didn't deliver for people. And so, like, like, you said this, but, like, I just, like, cannot emphasize enough, like, the best thing that Democrats can do the next year and a half like for themselves politically is to deliver for people like get get people the things that they want and are asking for and like feel like they need and like all the other superficial bullshit like let it let it go by the wayside like we gotta like show people results and like let the results speak for us yeah more free money for everyone just do that. <laughs> um, I mean, I still think that if Donald Trump had passed another COVID package, like before, like, you know, three, like in October or like mm. September before the election and given people like a couple hundred bucks in their pocket, I, I still think he might have won the election. But um, maybe, maybe and I'm he... still I'm still baffled that they didn't. I'm still baffled that him and Mitch McConnell couldn't get together to get that thing done because Democrats in the House because we would have passed it. Yeah. Like we would have given people the free money and Right, because we like, actually want to help people. That's sort of yeah. why we do this. Yeah. <laughs> so like if they had done it, we would have probably gone along and let it happen. And Donald Trump might be president. I don't know. I that that will always be like the thing. Uh that will always be sort of like to me, like beyond all of Trump's other shit that he did, like that actually feels like their most, the Republicans most strategic error when like it came to last cycle. It's an interesting theory, but I'll take it a step further. I think Trump would have fucked it up by trying to like send Trump bucks out instead of real dollars with his picture on it or something like that. So um, I still, I still am irritated that we didn't start calling the money that went out the door uh, once uh, President Biden was elected. I'm still irritated we didn't call them Biden bucks. That's uh, <laughs> such low-hanging fruit, you know? Like, so that, that would have been so easy. Biden bucks. Well, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get some more Biden bucks before the uh, before the next election. 
Um, one last question we ask everybody before I cut you loose. I know you're, you're about to head out to New York. Um, what is giving you the most hope right now for the future? Mm. I think like it was supposed to, like it was supposed to be a bad year. Like we were supposed to get our asses kicked and I don't think anyone would have been, would have been shocked if it had happened. You know, like I think the predictions ran from, you know, it could be as bad as 2014 to that. It could be like a catastrophe like we had in 2010. And honestly, like I thought that we could be looking at 2010 Mm -hmm. like level losses and you know i think the fact that like we were able to win and we were able to do it with like good candidates like the right the right message some luck but like election cycles are always like have some luck associated with them like good election cycles you never a, a president never or like elected officials never get elected in sort of like the in a, in a vacuum you know they're always like the sort of like state of the world is always in play um and you know like president obama people forget like got elected because like he ran against a person who was like uniquely bad for the moment like somebody who literally said things like i'm not an expert on like the economy like literally as the economy was collapsing <laughs> um, you know, so like the moment always plays a role, but like I think this is what happens when you spend five years building infrastructure as a party. And I think yeah. like that also is like a piece of it that like I didn't talk about earlier, but like is important to recognize is that like what infrastructure does is it helps you win bigger by a little bit in the good years and lose by less in the bad years hmm. and like that's what we're starting to see um and you know there's just like a lot of really good work that's been happening and like i think there's certainly a lot to be pessimistic about but like i think our chances going into 2024 are good i think our chance you know like we have a bunch of like local races coming up this cycle there's like tens of thousands of school board races we have state legislative races in uh virginia and, you know, I think there's like a lot for us to like really like look on the bright side about doesn't mean there's not a lot of hard work to do in the future. But I think like the candidates out there, I think like all of the new elected officials who are going to be like making people's lives better. I think like that's the that's the thing that I hang on to sort of like in, you know, like as the narrative is about like Donald Trump, is he going to run or right. is he going to get before he runs or is it going to be Ron DeSantis and I don't particularly care which it is I think both of them present their own sets of challenges and um I think they're both beatable mm -hmm. I agree well that's yeah there's a lot of great candidates running um you all have inspired so many people to run uh, someone sent me Amanda's book, Run for Something, uh, years ago with the uh, inscription, You Should, in there. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm too old for, for Run for Something, but uh, I'm not too old to uh, step up like I've been asking my listeners to do forever. So uh, on this particular episode, uh, I did earlier announce that I am running for the California State Legislature. I'm running Congratulations. To, running to be an assembly member in my assembly district. Thank you. That's 
That's awesome. What district? Uh, AD 44. Um, it's part of this great dominoes that happened when uh, Schiff is running for Congress and my awesome assembly member, Laura Friedman, is running for his congressional seat. So um, I'm going to run for Laura's seat and serve the community that I've been living in for 30 plus years. That's awesome. Good luck. That's <laughs> You're doing the Lord's work, as they say. Uh, I am uh, excited and nauseated in equal parts, <laughs> but but it's it's uh, it's going to be fun. And and you all inspire me, and uh, and I I really am so grateful for you and for Jess and the work that you all do. It's just remarkable. So uh, thanks so much for being here and taking the time on how we win. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved and maybe even run for something. (laughs) We want to hear from you, as always. So please send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, and at jenmccullough. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share us with your friends and family. Um, Also, one last plug for my new website, pearson4california.com. That's P-I-E-R-S-O-N-F-O-R-C-A.com. And uh, there's always more work to do, like signing up as a volunteer on Steve's campaign website. Oh, shucks. So do that, and we'll be back with more next Wednesday. See you then.